Welcome back, Inebriates. Uh, this is Andy of the Inebriate Podcast, uh, exactly who you would expect to be on my show. Today's guest uh, scared the ever-loving hell out of me as a child. It was probably in the first horror movie I ever watched. Uh, so welcome to the show, Courtney Gaines of Children of the Corn. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for causing me nightmares. And um <laughs> But I mean, you've, you, I, I was, like I said, I was poking around on your IMDb page and you've been in everything, um, including one of my personal favorites. I love the burbs. That is one of there my, there you go. It's certainly what I learned started doing conventions about 15 years ago. It was that there was a huge burbs, uh, subculture out there that I didn't even know existed. It, it rang so true to those of us that grew up in the suburbs, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it was exactly how it was. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you've been acting forever. You got stuff going on. Um, you briefly just mentioned that there's a backlog of stuff because of COVID. Like, how yeah. much did that screw up your plans? And it didn't really screw up my plans, but there was just projects that I had done, you know, that hadn't come out. And I was wondering what was going on. You know, when you do independent films, which are, is a lot of the work I do, you mm -hmm. don't know when a project's coming out. But I think because of, of that year, it was a lost year for everybody, and including filmmakers getting their films out. And now all of a sudden they're all coming out. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. So we'll get into that when everyone starts talking about it. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like it's a really interesting time for independent films and filmmakers because of there's so many different avenues to, to put your work on now, you know, there's Amazon prime and shutter and Netflix. It's all, it seems like it's more accessible to, or easier, I'm guessing to, to get the work out. But I think it's like a combination, right? You have more platforms than ever, but then that means you have more content than ever. So it's like sure. getting noticed is it can be tough. I mean, no one can watch all the content coming out nowadays. No, you know what? It's just too much stuff. But and you can make a film, you know, cheap now in in terms of um, cameras and, and and you know skeletal crews. You don't need everything you used to. And that there's pluses and minuses to that. I mean, running lean and mean can be great, but, you know, sometimes the filmmakers, you know, like it took me years to understand the value of production designers in a yeah. movie. But in big movies, directors know the two most important people that they hire are their production designer and their DP. Yeah. Because the why, look why of the film that? is everything. And yeah. a lot of times they get the, the credit, the credit that goes to a director but really it's his production designer that's giving you know, the look of the film is the production designer, you know? Yeah. Um, it's always, I, I think it was Gary Marshall who said that the, the test or the true test or maybe not test, but the true merit to a great director is if someone's in a movie and they're acting really well, that's a good actor. If everyone in the entire movie is acting well, he's like, that's a good director. Mm, I like it. Yeah. I, like I always it. thought that was interesting. But I mean, so how has things changed? I mean, you've been acting since like the eight, early 80s. Yeah. I mean, it's had to have changed drastically. It, it, it has. And, and, and really, it's, it's like everything else, right? From analog to digital, right? And, that, yeah. and, that, and how that changes our perceptions. So I started out, you know, in an analog world. I started out in shooting 35 millimeter film, which was expensive and mattered. And so it was the whole way you shot was treated differently. Everybody had to be ready. You know, everybody had to be quiet. Everybody had to be focused because you're burning film. 
Right. <laughs> you know, nowadays it's kind of like, ah, God, run it again. Like the director will start giving you direction why they're still shooting the video, you know, and there's just a casualness about it that I don't really like. I people talk too much, you know. I mean, still in unions, crews, things stay really tighter because people get upset if you do their job, but it's gotten a lot looser and goosier on, on indie films because of that, because it, it, film is cheap now because it's not film, it's video. And I think the same thing has happened in the editing process. Not that editing isn't great today, it is, but the value of a cut is not what it was back in the day when they had the Nagra and you cut the film, you'd cut it long and tape it. Then you yep. run it and then you cut a little bit like you, it was, you know, they call it trimming. Like you really took it seriously because if you went too far, you couldn't go back, you know? And so the, the, the cuts were uh, more, you know, uh, more important. And now you can just go crazy and then go, oh, I don't like it. Press delete. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're the back button. Yeah. So, so the, the value of things is just different, you know? So do you think that kind of um, permanency to, a cut like that makes it, I don't know if better is the right word, but makes you more critical before you do it. Is that what you're saying? You're not just critical, but you take it more seriously. That's the best way I can put it. Right. Cause if you yeah. go too far, you can't go back. You, you, you would, I mean, I would see them. They would like, look at the thing, you know, they're a little cut and then they run the Nagra back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, really contemplating their next move, you know? Um, and, and that's just not, you know, what we get now. And I think even if you, you know, go into music and, you know, nowadays with auto tune and all these things, it's just like the artist doesn't have to really deliver for, you know, there's not training's not as required, you know I mean? Right. So, like, you know, you know, you're getting old. Like I know I'm getting old because now I listen to songs and I'm like, there's, there's just like the guys saying two words. How's this guy making a million dollars? It's like one <laughs> little line in this whole song. And this guy is like blowing up. Like, I don't get it. Like, this isn't even a song to me. Like, you know, but you know, you're getting old when you don't understand the next generation and what they're doing. And that's, I'm, right. I'm there. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> my, 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 uh, I'm old is TikTok. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh, you just need to spend some time on it. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like I just, just doesn't make sense to me, you know? And that's well, I, th I think it's it's again, these are reflections of, of uh, you know, a faster pace uh, society and, you know, little clips. And, and you know, it's, again, it's like like I mean, I'm putting on music right now. Right. You know, what I learned is you got to just put out a single at a time because no one's going to listen to the whole damn record. You, can, you know, you used to promote a single mm -hmm. for people to get to get them to hear the record or the or the CD. They're, they're going to give you those three minutes. You know, that's about what you're going to get. So now I'm just putting them out one at a time. And to keep the keep the conversation alive, you know, and and, and that that's I I come from the record era, you know, I like a yeah. great record, you know, but uh, that's not that's not where we're at now. Yeah, and it's it's uh, you know we interview a lot of uh, musicians, and there is this need to, you know, instead of like oh we put out an album and then we go tour, it's every three months I got to drop this new single so I'm relevant and people don't forget about me. Yep. Yep. It's a different it's a different beast. Have you always been involved in music or is that something more recent? I always have. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm out more uh, talking about it publicly and, and, and doing things like this. Um, I started taking professional acting classes when I was 13 and I yeah. also started taking music lessons when I was 13. And uh, I was certainly more intended on being a professional actor than I was a professional musician. And therefore my approaches were different, uh, meaning like I studied music, I studied, you know, learning to play guitar for like two years, you know, 
learn how to do three chord changes and, and mm-hmm. play in rhythm and learn a few scales. And then from that point, I taught myself. And I, for musically, I like that approach for me because I, I play more by a feel vibe. And if you listen to my stuff, I think you'll, 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 you'll get that. But if I was going to be a professional musician, then I would have been way better trained so that I could actually work in the studio and I could read music well and do the things you need to do to be hired and make dough. Right. Um, as an actor, I, that's what I did. I've studied all the methods, you know, and I've never studied. I was either I was studying or I was or I was teaching my whole my whole career up until recently. So I've always been in the process because, you know, that was my job. You know, that's how I made my ducats. So, um, you know, I needed I, you're, it's a very competitive world, you know, auditioning and things very, you know, if you're getting one out of 10 auditions, you're doing super well. And I was yeah. able to have that average as an actor in LA, but, but at the same time, I'm not getting a lot, a lot of auditions a year. Like there are actors who are, you know, the right type that might get a hundred auditions in a year. If I had a hundred, if I, if I had a hundred auditions a year, I'd be working nonstop. I'm getting more like 30 auditions a year. Yeah. So I'm getting like three gigs a year, three to four gigs a year that, but that's enough to survive on. Right. Yeah. That's to keep me going and on to the next. But, but, but that being said, you know, that's competitive and I got to come in there and I got to, I got to get those jobs, right? It's like, I'm not the only guy trying to get that job and I'm not the only guy who works, you know, it's competitive. Yeah. Um, so you said you started when you were 13. Was this something that like your parents were supportive of? Did you come from like a creative type family? Like what was that? So, so uh, it's a bit of a yes and a no answer. So I'll have to answer it that way. Um, so I knew from the time I was really young, um, I, 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 the first play I ever did, I was 10 and I was hooked and I would bug my mom, but my mom was sort of resistant to the idea of me being a child actor. And she would cite like the Jack and Coogan stories and the parents took the money. And I'm like, well, you're not going to steal my money. I don't understand. But really, I think she just didn't want me to be a kid actor, which is probably a smart move. But she had been an entertainer. She was in a, like a fame school in Los Angeles and was entertaining troops when she was like 13 years old in World War II. Like, but she looked like she was 18, you know, like yeah. dancing and all. And they, they you know, they, they were in LA and then they would like take a, a plane up to Bakersfield and entertain, you know. And then so she was, so she'd been in it and she chose to be in it. She had her own dance studio by the time she was like 18 and then gave it all up for her first marriage. So I could never quite understand why she kept me out, but I kept bugging her and I kept bugging her. And finally she put me in a class and I hated the class. It was like, it was like reference, like her understanding, like, you know, like tap dancing and wearing yeah. tights. And I was like, no, nah, I'm, yeah, I'm a kid from the hood. Like this ain't like, this ain't yeah. it. And I was about <laughs> to quit. And uh, this guy stopped me on the street. His name is Virgil Fry. And he was an acting teacher and an actor. And he was like, I like your son's look. Is he an actor? And I was like, I don't know about this guy. He's like, oh, my son's in on an audition. His son comes out and his son was named Sean Fry. And in the seventies, Sean worked a lot. And I that name him. sounds really familiar. He was in the original. He was the kid in the original fun with Dick and Jane. He had a good supporting role in E.T. Okay. He did a lot of movie of the weeks. And so I went, whoa, his son's working. He must know what he's doing. And I started studying with him to make a long story short. He eventually became my manager and I studied with him for 10 years. He was my mentor, broke me into the business. And what was like your initial big break? Was it Children of the Corn? Yeah, it was. That was. I did a couple smaller things before that. I did an AFI film with Crispin Glover that's uh, still out there to this day. Part of this thing called the Beaver Trilogy. It's like they've done three versions of this thing. One, one Sean Penn did. One Crispin did. Oh wow! Um, so it's still out there, which is crazy. And uh, and then the first thing I uh, I did a Safeguard soap commercial, which I did the most takes I've ever done on anything ever in my career. I did like a hundred and 
some odd takes. Jeez. And for the first half of the day, I kept hearing 10, 15, five. And I was like, what? And he's like, don't worry about it. Keep going. When it took me half the day to realize what he meant was that they were telling me how many t- seconds I was over on the 30 second spot. Oh, uh, I was acting and I was doing yeah. my thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Once I realized that I started coming in on time and I guess the guy didn't care. He was just going to take the, the, the snippets he wanted. Though I have to say, I've never seen that commercial to this day. No one's ever put it up on YouTube or anything else where I've had some other ones that, that, uh, that have been found and now are up there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That, that one I've never seen to this day. That's always fun when someone like posts something weird, like old toy commercials or something from, you know, back in the day. Yeah, I did this one that was really cool for a, a Six Flags amusement park that like won a bunch of awards. And I didn't see that for like decades and now it's up. And I always thought it was pretty good. You know, it was a really pretty funny spot to do. Um, we all get on this ride called The Edge and we're all like, be all cool. This isn't going to scare us. And then by the end, like our hair is all blown out and I had really long hair. So my hair is just like, yeah. and everybody screamed on the way down and then it, it pans to me at the end. And then I'm like, I have this delayed scream, you know, ah, <laughs> edge, you know? Yeah. <laughs> pretty oh, funny cool. spot, you know? So, um, have you been filming things post COVID? Um, not a ton post, but I, I did do some, uh, uh, during, which was kind of surprising, which is oh. some of the, some of the projects that are uh, coming out and stuff. So um, I've only done one thing this year so far, uh, but it was a TV show, which is good because I hadn't done a TV gig in a while. Um, and it was a, it's a show called Tales on BET. It's a ten episode anthology, so each episode is totally different. And I play a uh, I play uh, you know the lead one of the leads in it, but I play this corrupt, really bad corrupt cop. So nice. I'm looking forward to seeing that. And a little different. The funniest thing was I was, there was this park down the street from where we were shooting and I was just hanging out a little bit between the stakes. And I went to step off the curb and all of a sudden this car slammed its brakes in the middle of the street, like, and looked like I was scared. I'm like, what? And it was like, they saw me in a cop uniform and thought I was a cop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was like the power of the uniform. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. do you prefer to play the bad guy in films or shows? I don't prefer, um, but I'm good at it. Yeah. And, um, and what's fun about bad guys is, you know, they're crossing the line and you get to, you know, you know, leads in movies are often pretty boring. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. times the straight man, as it were, uh, the, 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 the bad guys are more fun. Yeah. But I'm just, yeah, I'm just typically not, you know, going to do the straight guy. Everyone's a comedy or something, but I'm better, you know, better at doing stuff that's edgy, you know? Nice. And so I, again, I was poking around a little bit and, uh, there was a YouTube video of one of your songs. Um, oh my God. Of course I'm blanking, but uh, it said slash played on it. Yeah. So that's journeyman. So journeyman that I did a long time ago Yeah, and was put, it was put out a few different ways and I rebooted it again on Spotify. So it was put out initially on a, on a compilation record uh, from a, a, a future farmer records, which was actually one of my students. I used to teach in San Francisco he was one of the co-founders of the, and that ended up getting, uh, did pretty well in college radio. It got picked out of there. It was very different than most of the stuff they were doing, but it got picked out. So Matt Sorum produced it, the drummer from guns. Yep. That's and that, and how that happened was I was dating a girl that he was, he was dating a girl that they were best friends. And, uh, and I went up to Matt's place and my girl was bold enough to say, I played music and put me on the spot. And he was like, play something. We're down in the studio of his pad. And I was like, yeah. okay. And I did. I was like, yeah, I have a song I want to do. And 
So I put a band together for it and everything, basically brought everything in, but it needed like a really good, like blues lead on it. You know, yeah. he, he was like, Hey, well, you know, slash is coming up to do something. I mean, I'll hit him up. And he did. And, you know, I heard that he always has a bottle of Jack. hello there we go <laughs> dude it started downpouring here i'm in the southeast and my internet just completely went out so i've been figuring out how to get it on the internet here and punching the codes and everything and somehow <laughs> made it back oh no that worries was, that was a journey right there so uh, at first i i uh so normally i record at my office but i've been having wi-fi issues there so i'm home and uh, as soon as you froze and didn't come back, I'm like, oh, shit. Now what? <laughs> so yeah, I just no, assumed it was me. me. It was me. Yeah. Oh, no worries. Uh, happens. It's technology. Yeah. But when it rains here, you know, when it rains, it rains. And it's been storming today. Yeah. yeah we got um, hit really bad. Was it last Wednesday? Yeah. Last Wednesday, there's a, um, a stage right next to Plymouth Rock. And they have uh, free concerts on Wednesday nights. Oh, and, nice. the big, and the biggest local band um, in the area, uh, they're called the Elevators, mm -hmm. was playing. And it was the first time they've played since, you know, COVID, really. Yeah. And there was like 5,000 people there. And the second he was like, thanks for coming. If you didn't beeline it for your car, you were getting drenched. It was like wow. lightning all around us. It was crazy. Wow. But great show. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the last thing you said was um, we were talking uh, about Slash, Slash having yeah having a, a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah, so he's known for always having a bottle of Jack when he plays and he putting his cigarette on his tuners right after he starts smoking. And so I'd heard that about him. So he had brought a bottle of Jack, but I brought a bigger bottle of Jack. And I was like, <laughs> Thanks for coming, man. Yeah. And it was just an amazing thing to watch him work because he has this ability to to play by you know like improv right like by feel mm -hmm. and then him and the guy that was the engineer was a guy who just came off a stones record so he knew he you know he was really good they would listen back and be like oh like that's that's a little sharp or that's a little flat and be like uh-huh then what did i play and then he'd figure it out and then they do what they call punch-ins where they play back a punch in get that little section punch out now if you don't do that perfectly you lose whatever else you over recorded right it can be it wow. can be you, you yeah and they did this for like two hours and just clean this whole lead up it was like an amazing process to watch yeah I've, I've gotten to recently spend a little bit of time in a recording studio a friend of mine opened one up that was like his covid project nice and um he he's been recording for local bands and it was just kind of sitting there and like watching. And then they're like, Oh, you know, this, and you hear this and you hear that. I'm sitting over there being like, no, man, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Exactly. Yeah, I wish I could, but I don't. Yeah. But yeah. It's uh it's a, it's a real skill and it's really impressive when people do it well. Yeah. So I reissued that song with four other songs. I put an EP out on Spotify earlier in the year and decided to do that music video. I cut that thing on iMovie. And it's just basically like, you know, old clips and, and old photos and my, you know, recent headshots and, mm -hmm. you know, just some, you know, kind of journeyman, right. Kind of explains my career. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, why not? And that's been fun. That was the first stuff I put up solo wise, uh, uh, 
uh, for, on Spotify because I also have a band. We'll talk about it a little bit later. But um, but recently, I'm just I'm putting out a, a project called Acoustic Gains Volume One right now, mm-hmm. and uh, we just put out our third single yesterday. It's called Let It Ride, and it's a very vintage blues song. And that actually got picked up for this one of the movies I did during COVID, a little zany indie film I did called uh, My Redneck Neighbor. And I always say, who do you think played the redneck neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> um so that's cool that it got picked up though so that's neat um i always like when i you know if i do some stuff and somebody a movie i'm in or this and that picks it up that's always a good thing so um so that song came out yesterday so here we are promoting there we go nice yeah that's um so you put out the ep but then you have to like release each song individually is that like how it works now well like i said i put out that ep for that first because it was a bunch of old stuff off of a, a cd i had years ago called a, a Record, uh, gain, recording gains from 1988 to 1999. It was a bunch of singles and a band I had. And that yeah. was something I had years ago. So let me take the best of that and put out an EP. And that's oh, what okay. I learned that from promoting that, that you really have to promote singles. And so on this acoustic gains, I'm just putting them out one at a time. And this is our, our uh, third single we just put out. It's like, I understand how things are done now. And I got to say, like, one of the things that I miss the most is like album art. Yep. You know, being a visual art guy and, you know, a kid that grew up in the 80s with hair metal and like loved, you know, Iron Maiden album covers and Megadeth yep. album covers. It's just like it. I just feel like that added so much to kind of the mystique of the bands, I suppose. Maybe that's. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think, you know, is again, it's just a product of everything going from, you know, to, to everything going digital now, it's cha- it just changes the whole format of the way things are done. And uh, yeah, you know, it used to be getting an album and, and you know, I, I have albums still, of course. And uh, yeah, album covers and all that was a big part of the whole, the artwork was a big part of it all. So it's, yeah, it's just a different beast now. And and it's weird because uh, like I'll talk to my kids about it because they're, they're both big into music and I'm always trying to figure out how they find new music because how, there's no MTV. How, like, it's not a thing. How music, because my kid's in his mid-20s, and, and I know how he did, how he does it, and how he did it, and how it is. They see stuff in movies. Like, they'll hear a journey, and they'll be like, well, that's cool. Who's that? And then they'll see the end. Oh, journey, and don't stop believing. Oh, that's cool. Then they'll be like, they'll get that song, and they'll be like, well, what else have they done? And that's why nowadays for, for uh, record labels, it's, it's all about the catalogs. That's why you saw, like, Warner Brothers 10 years ago, buy up like every catalog they could get their hands on so they have this massive catalog that they're basically selling to commercials television and movies and then the cross section is it it, 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 it people become aware younger people become aware of these bands and it, it's worked pretty yeah. well and i think that's exactly what's going down in the movie industry now too is i think that you know theaters are becoming somewhat obsolete everybody's got home theater and video on demand and i think it's going to become pretty common that you know movies come out and the same day they're video on demand another movie i just was in queen bees that just came out two weeks ago that's exactly what they did i think there's going to be a lot more of that um but you you see now like disney made the big move like all you know first the platforms the hulus and the Mm -hmm. All of that happened, but then Disney was sitting there going, wait a minute, like, why are we giving them all this product that we spend millions of dollars on and we're getting cents back? So like, how about we do this instead? How about we buy Fox and we buy Star Wars and we own all of Star Wars plus the entire Fox catalog yep. plus the entire Disney catalog. And all, the, and, uh, called- yeah, and all the Marvel movies. Yeah, we're going to start a yeah. thing called Disney Plus. And like, you want to see those movies, you come to us. 
And I think that I think you're going to see, you know, obviously Paramount's trying to thing with tele, their Paramount Plus and TV thing. But I think you're going to see more of that, uh, I think, because it's just not cost productive for the studios to, to let, you know, Amazon and Hulu and stuff do it for them. Cause it's not costing them anything. Like it's not costing their, the plot. They've created the platforms, but they're getting all this free content, which is why they're also making a lot of content now, because I think they knew they wouldn't be able to get away with that forever. Right. So they need to make, you know, uh, compelling enough content that you'll pay for their subscriptions. But I think that that's, that's the direction we're headed. I mean, there's no doubt that that's the direction we're headed. And it, it makes, a, I mean, from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Like why would I sell you something at half price? So you can sell it at full price when I can just sell it at full price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, where I'm but located, it, but it took studios, it took the studios a while to figure out what was happening. You know, that yeah. was their, they were in a, you know, they were kind of in the dinosaur age and, and they had to figure out that, you know, but it was the same thing with the music business when the, when the CD basically died, you know, that was mm-hmm. their, that was the way they made their money. And then all of a sudden they're like, what are we going to do? So they had to, they had to pivot and figure out it was catalogs. You're going to sell songs 99 cents at a time is how it's going to be. And you're going to put bands on the road and they're going to make their money on merch and, and you're going to find the song's product placement. And that's yeah. what they do, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, and I, I remember I heard recently that, um, which I, I was really blown away by this, that uh, the Chili Peppers sold their catalog of songs. I'm like, but they're still touring. Does that mean they, they have to pay someone to play their own songs? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they have to pay someone to play them, but somebody else owns them now as far as selling. But but the, right now there's a huge, uh, uh, I forget, there was someone was telling me in another interview, there's, there's this, one guy in particular who's the you know, billionaire guy that's gotten in the record business and he's just like way overpaying for all these catalogs right now are these licensing and, and people are selling because like yeah. they're not getting this is the time this guy's paying and, and they know it's overvalued and and they're selling so but maybe in the end you'll find out he's a genius i don't know it, may, it could be like uh you know when someone sells a picasso and it's valued at seven million and the guy pays 13 million you know because he knows when he goes to resell it it's 13 million and up you know, because you can't buy another one. You can't buy right. another Chili Peppers catalog. It's it is what well, it is. Well, I mean, you know, uh, uh, even I mean, look at this whole NFT thing that's going on. People are paying insane prices to own something digitally now. So I'm yeah, I still don't understand that either. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really understand it either. But I, I gotta say, I'm not gonna fully disclose everything right now. But I'm looking at maybe putting out something uh, in an NFT with with you know work I've done. I'm looking into it right now because I'm just like the it's just amazing what some of these guys are getting. And I'm like, you know, it's all in Bitcoin and all yeah. that stuff. I'm like, Hey, you know, that you can transfer that to dollars. So I'm looking into it. It's just very interesting. Some of the stuff going on out there right now. Yeah. And, and everything's changing so rapidly. It's hard to keep track of like what's going on. And, you know, mm-hmm. NFT is still like most people, you know, I feel like the majority of people have no idea like that is a thing at all. Like I don't understand it, but I've at least so, heard of it. The coolest thing about it is the artist. They've, they've negotiated the deals where the artist actually continues to get a percentage if they resell it. So it's the first time in history that oh wow, illustrators actually can get residual income from their art. And I think that's great. That's amazing. After yeah. residual income is what's saved my ass through the years. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're in a slow period, that back to the future residual check comes in and saves your ass. So, and that's becoming something that actors are losing now with the, with these Hulus and stuff is because in the Netflix is because there's not really a good way to track their eyeball oh, their revenue. Right. And they I mean, they started negotiating it, but mm-hmm. actors are not going to make the kind of money they made. And that's basically how middle-class actors survive 
So you're right. going to, I feel bad for actors coming up in the next generation because I don't know that unless you're, you know, a big star, I don't know that you can make a full living at it. I think people are going to have to have a side hustle. And I think you're going to, then there's going to be people who are just going to leave all together and do something else to make a living. And I think you're going to see the uh, supporting actor pool uh, get worse and worse. That's my prediction. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting because I know Netflix really does not like to share their numbers and they don't share it at all. Yeah, if your if your residuals is based on how many times it's been seen, you're not going to know. Right. And, you know, the, the my union, the Screen Actors Guild through, through the years, is, I feel done a horrible job with adjusting to the times. Like the first time they really blew it was cable television. You know, they thought they got a good deal. But like so like if I do a, a show like Criminal Minds on CBS, those residuals are, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. But if I do a, like a, a, a TNT show, like yeah. uh, Franklin and Bash, the residuals are like a joke, like like they're pittance compared to the other. And that's not an equal playing field for those networks. I mean, right. see, I don't feel like CBS should have to pay more. I feel like maybe you know, they find them find the middle ground or something. But we the cable deals, they, they didn't think cable was going to be of value. So yeah. the producers slid it right under. And so actors have been, you know, taking pittance ever since they've never renegotiated the deal properly. Um, but, you know, nowadays, as we know, I mean, cable TV is just absolutely as viable as the big network television. Of course, if not more so. So, so I feel like, you know, that actors should get paid properly, but they're not. And they never negotiated those deals. And then, I mean, they missed the boat again with this, with this whole, whole new platforms thing. They don't, they always seem to be behind the, the times about what's happening, you know? But I think they need to be paying attention. They're negotiating big deals with the, you know, the producers guild and they get smoked every time. And it's always the actors who suffer. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's crazy. And it it just seems like the changes come like more and more frequently and trying to keep up with everything. It's gotta be. But how about just, how how about just to take the conservative view that this is going to be huge. So we need to negotiate a good deal now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, you got to assume that um, it kind of reminds me of uh, I saw an interview with Bruce Campbell and he was talking about how if you're starting any kind of project with anybody on no matter what scale it is, he's like, you sit down, and you break down and be like, OK, you know, this is how the merch sale is going to break out. And this is how the action figure sales are going to break out. And this is how this is going to break out. And he's like, it's probably never going to happen, but it's easier to split five dollars than five million dollars. Yeah smart he's yeah. he's made his he's done that old bruce campbell's done all right for yeah himself. he's done okay <laughs> <laughs> uh so what are you working on now I, you, you mentioned queen bees you said that i think you said that came out last week right That's so a queen, huge cast queen bees came out two weeks ago yeah i just did a cameo in it but i couldn't say no because i got to work with anna margaret jane Curtin, uh ellen bernstein and loretta devine you know all in all, all in one it's just four iconic actresses in their own right so that was just a great experience to get to work with them and honestly i was i didn't know if the scene was gonna even make the movie much less it's made the trailer so that was a real pleasant surprise nice that 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 you know i got an even the 15 second spots i was in i couldn't believe it so so that's been that was a great experience and it's doing well and then um Another movie, again, like all this backlog of stuff's coming out now. So another movie I did a few years ago called Await the Dawn, a little horror film, got Vernon mm-hmm. Wells in it, uh, D. Wallace. That just came out on Amazon Prime, much to the surprise to everybody, including the director. I was just <laughs> all, hey, it's out. Who knew? Yeah. So, so that's been out now for about a week, and I have a fun character in that. And uh, then I have a movie coming out called River on uh, July 13th, 
that was an independent film I did during COVID that amazingly got picked up and out within a year or less than a year, which is just unheard of for an indie film. Yeah. And uh, it's a sci-fi thriller supernatural but it's not like sci-fi like in space and tons of cgi it's a very low budget film but it has a, it's an interesting project and it has a really great look the the director emily sky also was the dp and she's really excellent at using natural light and stuff and i really like mm -hmm. her style i think for her the getting a feature film was what done is what she needed to do to take her career to the next step and uh they did it as a short and uh, the financers of the short loved it so much. And it won so many awards. They, they gave her the money to shoot the film. And now she's oh, got that's cool. her first feature under her belt. And I think there's going to be more work for her to come. And nice. uh, the fact that it got distribution so quickly is, is, is pretty amazing. So that's coming out July 13th. And then another movie I did over two years ago called charming the hearts of men, which I've been wondering about for a while because it was a pretty cool project is coming out August 13th. And they're all, they all got picked up by gravitas ventures. So God bless those guys for, for picking up these films. Um, and it's set in the fifties and it's loosely based on the woman that they're giving credit for um, getting the word woman put in the civil rights bill. And oh. basically the storyline is she's a debutante, you know, connected to higher echelons of society in the South, which her, her, her father passed away, finds out she has no money. She has to actually get a job. And she works at my character, Mr. Spratt's diner. Mm -hmm. And she starts to really see prejudice more firsthand. And she decides to let the black folk do a sit in at his diner, which doesn't go over well with him, with the, my character or anybody else for that matter. And it causes this whole uh, hullabaloo that in fact is true. And, there's a famous photo of her holding this cake that she made. She's making cakes, kind of a little side hustle in this restaurant. And, and she was connected to the governor and stuff. And she, she got him to put the word women in the civil rights bill. So it's, so it's, but I love doing period pieces, fifties. I got like a bit of a flat top going. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I was, I've been waiting for that thing to come out for a while. And the trailer just came out this week and, uh, and it's coming out on August 13th. So it's like, basically I've got a movie coming out every month, every month, every month next, of the summer. That's you know, nice. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And um, so and then I got one other one that I don't know the date yet, but uh, the trailer's out called The Bleeding Dark. That's a horror. I call it a horror drama film because everything I'm doing is drama. It's my the, my character and the, the son lose the mother to a, a, you know, a robbery murder. And, you know, so we're depressed and clashing. And, and so everything I do is just not horror. But he, on the other hand, starts seeing her her apparition starts appearing in the house and things go haywire from there. And all oh, the, all the kills are very 80 style makeup yeah. and stuff. DGI. Nice. So I'm curious to see how that um, comes together, but I'm starting to see a little bit of a trend of drama and horror. And even Await the dawn has a lot of that. It's pretty heavy. The actors are really going for it um, emotionally. And, uh, but at the end of the day, it's a horror film, right? So I feel like there's been a big um, shift and in appreciation for for horror films you know with like get out and oh and get out bro get out oh. the best i think the best horror film to come out in a long time and then and then what's the other one the only two that i'm really stoked on what's the other one with art the clown what, what's that that logo you know what i'm talking about no no oh man i can't think of the name of it right now it was it's the same movie i produced a movie called candy corn and the same company uh, epic put it out uh they're doing a sequel already with this thing, but Art, this Art the Clown character is the best horror character I've I've seen in years. Hmm. He uh, and, and and it's a very clever, cleverly done little film. And it was a complete auteur filmmaker. The guy did the special effects himself, you know, did everything, edited himself. And 
but it, uh, I can't think of the name of the dang movie right now. But it was edgy. It was interesting. And the character, Art the Clown, he's now doing the convention circus and everything. Everybody loves oh, of him. Of course. Yeah. yeah. He's the best. He's the best. I feel he's the best character to come down the pike in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, he does everything silent. He's like a silent clown, like looks like, like a 50s clown. And, mm-hmm. But really interesting and weird and creepy. Nice. Do you do you have a particular favorite genre that you work in? I don't. You know, I'm looking for a good story and I'm looking for a good arc and I'm looking for something I can believe it. That's really the, the biggest bottom line is can I believe the circumstances? And I always use movies like Charlie's Angels and they're jumping out of helicopters one minute in with no parachutes on. And I'm already out. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, yeah, nobody's fucking doing that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And even, even in like, um, I remember uh, the first Suicide Squad movie, like the helicopter crashed. I mean, they're not they're super villains, but they don't, they're not really super powered per se. And right. it rolls over and rolls over and rolls over and they kind of get out and like dust the dust off. I'm like, no, I'm done. I, that's, right. They'd be dead. They'd be dead. Right. And that's, and that's, you know, that's, yeah, I'm always looking for some kind of realism. And I think, you know, I don't know the films today, you know, I think the reason a lot of actors gravitate toward television, you know, series regular television are two reasons. One, they could work at home, you know, if they're yeah. lucky enough, or at least it's a location. But two, it's that the characters, they still have to be character-driven storylines. Where now it's, yeah, I think the reason so many Aussies and, and English actors are getting all the work in these, because they can carry these these uh, superhero movies because they're guys who are like Shakespearean guys who basically acted in tights before. They can say right. anything and sound good, you know? What do we do here? You know, they, 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 they have, so it's like the, act, the American actor is sort of the whole run of, the Pacinos and the De Niro's and the Brando's and the method acting thing, that stuff doesn't transfer that well to this, these really fake universes. Right. You yeah. Know? So it's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, American acting is, is not in a great place right now, you know, but, I, but it has, it has a lot to do with the superhero. You know, there's just, no, there's nothing's about human nature anymore about human beings or human problems. You know, yeah. it's all about, you know, saving the universe or saving the planet. And you know, I get all that. And actually, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's just not enough movies coming. That's why I think Get Out not just stood out as a horror film, but it was an incredible sociological comment. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, and that was the brilliance of it. It was like, what would be the most terrifying thing for an African-American to experience? <laughs> that was the, the the take. And that was what made it new and fresh, you know? And, I, and yeah. good horror, if you go all the way back to, you know, uh, you know, the original zombie movies and all that, it, it's there's social commentary there, you know, there's mm-hmm. there. And that's what makes that's what makes it good. They're, yes, they're entertaining, but there's but there's this social commentary about the zombies. Every now it's, of course, you know, everybody on their phones. Right. I mean, you look yeah. everybody on there walking down the street. They are freaking zombies, you know. Well, that that was the brilliant part of uh, Shaun of the Dead, where like. Exactly people are such zombies that it takes you, I don't know, a day and a half to realize you're in the zombie apocalypse because nothing's changed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that movie was brilliant and that it combined, uh, you know, horror and comedy together, which I don't know so that anybody well. done so well before. Yeah. Exactly. Guys are, these guys are brilliant. Yeah. Um, is there someone that you haven't worked with? Cause you have a laundry list of like the top celebrities in Hollywood that you've worked with. I mean, from Tom Hanks yes. on down. It is pretty amazing if you actually take the time to put the list together, which I did once because I was doing an interview for perhaps teaching in a college thing or whatever out here in Savannah. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, when you put the list together, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Really. It's like, wow. Cause you know, you're just doing them one at a time. Right. Right. You know? 
And you don't realize when you put the list together, it's like writing down your lessons. You don't, you don't feel accomplished. I'm like, write down your achievement list. You see it on paper. You'll feel better. You know? It's yeah, like, for sure. Like, okay. So it is pretty crazy, but yeah, who would I want to work with? Uh, you know, I've been saying like, lately, a lot of, you know, Glenn Close is someone I would definitely like to work with. I think she's a, a monster and I hear she's a very uh, generous and good actress to work with too. So I would love that opportunity. Baz Luhrmann, I think is a really freaking interesting director. Yeah. You know, the, does these musicals but yet they're interesting and you know, i don't know you could we use his music and film it's very very cool and that show he did on netflix i thought was amazing about the breaking of rap in brooklyn did you oh, I, I don't think for, i saw that uh, i forget the dang name of it but it yeah. broke that it broke the kid uh, his career open but it was yeah it was it was it was probably the best thing i've seen in you know the last five years i thought it was really 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 good unfortunately he kind of got burned out on it and decided to just move on and so they had they cut the series it wasn't that the series wasn't good they just without him there was no point in going on so right and uh since you are both an actor and a musician what are you listening to now this is how i find new bands i, I oh pick I'm, people's terrible. Brands. I'm terrible about that stuff i'm listening i'm listening to like old i'm listening to like records still and uh you know i'm listening to like re-listening to like janice ian you know like in between the lines i think it's one of the best folk sort of records ever made but um i listen a lot of i listen to a lot of blues nowadays you know yeah. um, uh you know so but nothing like nothing like a real i'm gonna like help you discover some band you haven't heard of i'm not i'm not that guy <laughs> <laughs> i always gotta ask you know never no, know no, it's a good question yeah. i'm just not i'm not i'm bad with movies that way too like i'm not that guy that's like hunting for the most cool thing no one's heard of you know i don't yeah. have the time <laughs> but like you know I'm like a huge Buddy Guy fan. I've got a chance to see Buddy Guy play a few times live. And that, yeah, he's just like, I don't know, man. He's like otherworldly good, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I, yeah, I'm just, but yeah, as I'm getting you know, rock sort of, I think eventually you progress to blues. I think that's just sort of what you do. You yeah. Know? I like, feel like older. you kind of, as you get older, like, you know, like I said, I was big into like, you know, metal and anthrax and, louder faster and now as i'm getting older it's like oh jack white's really good and how about these black keys and you know that's yeah i think our tastes change and i think there's nothing wrong with that you know you don't have yeah. to hold the you know i mean you can still like rush you know i still yeah. like rush that doesn't mean i can't listen to buddy guy you know it's like again i think i think you know as an artist i think we're always trying to break out of labels and i think that you know society and, and corporate music or anything else is always trying to get you to define yourself in some way and i don't think you have to you know look i mean you know, NWA, that's a great rap album. You know, I right. think if you're going to put a time capsule of that era, you know, you could throw that record in there and, and, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. You know what I mean? It's like good stuff. I mean, you know, it's just like, you don't have to you don't have to, like, listen to whatever you like, you know, like yeah. Beastie, listen to Beastie Boys, you know, well, you, can, you can do that and listen to Mozart. Why, why not? Yeah, it's, it's like record, you know, around here used to be record town. Like that doesn't exist anymore where it was country rap rock. <laughs> Class, yeah, that's that the whole thing that surprised me a few years ago that I found out that was happening and was even in talks with somebody about maybe jumping on a, a song. And I was just, and I know there's this guy I did, I've done some conventions for, he's in uh, he's in uh, near the Atlanta area and he manages a bunch of bands like that. And I was just like, What, what are you talking about? Country rap? And he's like, No, there's a whole scene out there, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, These guys are making money, and I'm just like, What, yeah. you know, but. But but in a postmodern society, which is what we live in, you mm -hmm. know, that makes sense ultimately that that would happen. But yeah, that's a hard. But I've heard some stuff, and this, you know, some of it's good, you know. Yeah, we but got to interview this band um, called Gangster Grass, and uh, <laughs> they did the theme song to Justified, 
and ah. it's bluegrass with two MCs, and they're phenomenal. They're like really great. Yes, I mean you can you know people that's that's what postmodernism is about. It's about pulling. I mean, I mean, in fact, rap is postmodern. I mean, right, sure. Beats from something else mm-hmm. and then wrapped over it. There's nothing much more postmodern than that, you know? And then now, yeah, now it's the next level. It's like we're gonna, you know, country guys are gonna because the kids growing up today that you, you know, are in Nashville. I mean, they can't help but be exposed to rap because it's it's such a big phenomenon. Right. That they're gonna that they're gonna have some influence. And then it's just a matter of time to say, well, how do we put this together? So, but yeah, I that one I, that one I was a head scratcher, but I, I you know, but when I heard some stuff, I was like, okay, this works. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I want to say thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Where can people go to um, download the new album, um, Acoustic Gains, Volume 1? Yeah. Right? So, oh, oh, yeah. And this plug my band, too. So I have a band called okay. Ripple Street. And okay. uh, our last uh, single we put out, we put out three this year so far. Our last single is called Would You. And uh, to say it's Black Sabbath-esque, I think, is fair. So if you okay. want to uh, Here's got the acoustic thing going and something a little heavier. Um, you can find all our stuff on Spotify, of course, and you can find it on iTunes and Amazon and Deezer. And you can certainly find a, We have some videos up on YouTube too. So, mm-hmm. you know, type in Ripple Street or you type in my name, you'll find some stuff. So, are you guys on uh, Bandcamp as well? Uh, we're not. We're no. not. Okay. Um, and so the movies we talked about, um, those are coming out. Um, some are on Amazon Prime. Did we say where the other ones are coming out? Yes, yeah, so we got Queen Bees out. Uh, right yeah. now, uh, Wait the Dawns on Amazon Prime, Rivers coming out on VOD on July 13th, and then Charming the Hearts of Men's, I think, coming out in theaters and on VOD on August 13th. Nice. Well, again, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a Zoom call, so, like, we'll just edit out those technical difficulties. and We, we worked it out. <laughs> it happens. Usually it's on my end, so I'm kind of happy today. <laughs> But uh, no, it was great talking to you and uh, to our listeners. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys again next week. Very good. You take care. See you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find us on all social medias at inebriart or on Instagram at inebriart6. You can email us at inebriart at yahoo.com. And make sure you listen to the other podcasts on the inebriart podcast network, including Bar Talk, Old Colony Cast, Retro Redoctopus, America's Hometown Horror Podcast, and our newest one, Theme Park Legends, a podcast about working at theme parks. What else? And we'll catch you again next time.